back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, you might say Appalachia was a lawless frontier that was ruled by powerful family clans. Sure, there were sheriffs and judges, but they held little authority over the heavily armed Appalachian families. They were led by quick-tempered, pistol-carrying, brawny men who would lash out in violence at the drop of a hat. In fact, the law feared these families. By 1910, you might say there were two dueling legal systems in these rugged mountains. On one hand, you had outlaw Appalachian justice, where men took matters into their own hands, and bloodshed was the only way to solve a dispute with another man. On the other hand, the courts were ran by elected politicians and career law officers who tried to impose law and order by arresting lawbreakers and depending on the courts to impose prison sentences. It was only a matter of time before these two systems would clash. And in 1912, they did. And what happened next is still considered the deadliest courtroom shootout in the history of America. And it happened right here in Appalachia. So, with that, my friend, this is the true story of the 1912 Courthouse Massacre. It all started on a Saturday night in the fall of 1911 at a corn husking gathering in rural Virginia. You see, shucking corn during harvest was a big event in the mountains, and the process could be very work-intensive. Sometimes, a farmer would ease his burden by inviting his neighbors over. All the men and the boys would sit outside and shuck corn while the women prepared the food, and the girls would help with the food or they would practice quilting. It was a time of socializing. The boys and the girls loved to play the game Shake the Cat, where they bounced a cat on a quilt. Each of the four corners was held by a girl, and a boy would throw a cat on the quilt while the girls bounced the quilt. In whichever direction the cat ran determined what girl the boy could kiss. Meanwhile, out on the porch, the older boys and men would hold contests to see who could shuck a bushel of corn the fastest. Every now and then, they would find an ear of corn that would have some red in it, and it was called a red ear. The tradition was that if a young man discovered a red ear of corn, he could kiss a girl of his choice before dinner that night. Well, a young man named Wesley Edwards discovered a red ear of corn, and he chose to kiss the wrong girl. You see, this girl was being courted by another boy, and that kiss would unfold a series of events that still haunts Appalachia to this very day. Now, Wesley Edwards was a member of one of the most powerful clans in the history of Appalachia, the Allen clan. The Allens had ruled these isolated mountains since the Civil War ended in the 1860s. They had been led by the Confederate Civil War veteran Jerry Allen, who, according to contemporary newspapers, was known for beating men to death with his own fist. Folks feared him, and he had become a leading citizen. That's right, the Allen clan was wealthy. Most of them lived in beautiful houses and owned huge amounts of land and owned successful general stores. Now, they were into politics, too. They were proud, unreconstructed Southern Democrats in an otherwise largely Republican county. 
Most of the Allen family had held office, and for 50 years, they were known as Appalachian outlaws who settled disputes with fists and guns. By 1910, the patriarch of the clan was 54-year-old Floyd Allen, who was one of Jerry Allen's seven children. Floyd was an imposing man with a bushy mustache who made his living as a shopkeeper and a farmer, and he was what you would expect of a leader of a clan. He was beloved by many, yet hated by others. He was known for both generosity and a quick temper. Floyd Allen had a long history of altercations with the law, but he had always gotten off with light sentences because of his political connections. For example, in 1904, he had been convicted of shooting his neighbor in a land dispute. Well, for that assault, the jury sentenced him to a $100 fine and one hour in jail. These type of sentences were common because folks feared the Allens would kill the judge or the jury if they convicted him. After Floyd Allen received a one-hour jail sentence for shooting his neighbor, the Virginia governor, Andrew Jackson, pardoned him, and Floyd forced the man that he shot to pay the $100 fine or he'd shoot him again. In another altercation, Floyd and his brother Jack got into a shouting match over a dispute over their father's estate. Floyd shot Jack in the head, but the bullet bounced off of his skull. In return, Jack shot Floyd in the chest. Floyd fell back on a mattress, bleeding to death, when suddenly Jack felt sorry for him and he put down his gun. Floyd promptly pulled a pistol from underneath the mattress and emptied every bullet into his brother's chest. When he ran out of bullets, he got up and pistol whipped him. Floyd nearly died from the chest wound, but he eventually recovered. Most folks said that Floyd was just too mean to die. In his long life of violence, he had been shot 13 times in fights. Now when Floyd shot his brother, he was again sentenced to $100 fine and one hour in jail, but he just simply refused to go. Floyd bragged that he would never spend a minute in jail as long as the blood flowed through his veins. In fact, newspapers of the time claimed that the Allen family often boasted that no member of the Allen clan would ever see jail time. You see, it was a matter of family pride. The Allens even had federal officials scared of them. Once, a federal revenue agent showed Floyd a warrant to search his wagon for illegal moonshine. Upon inspecting the warrant, Floyd was reported to have said, this paper entitles you to go into that wagon, but it don't say nothing about you coming out alive. Fearing for his life, the federal agent took the hint and left. Despite his record of lawlessness, Floyd Allen had been often deputized by the local law, and even in that role, there were many complaints against him for beating prisoners nearly to death who had tried to escape while he was their deputy. Simply put, Floyd Allen was one of the meanest, most violent men in a family of violent outlaws. They were untouchable. Everybody feared them. And the boy who kissed that girl at the corn shucking was Wesley Edwards, the nephew of Floyd Allen. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. The very next day after the corn shucking, during church services, Wesley Edwards ran into the boyfriend of the girl he kissed the night before. Now, that boy was furious, and he confronted Wesley. But 
As soon as church was over, Wesley and his brother took out their pistols. Then they took turns beating him nearly to death. Both of them were charged with felony assault and interfering with the worship service. Now, when Wesley's uncle Floyd Allen heard about the charges, oh, he was furious. And he told the boys to hide out in North Carolina, where they couldn't be arrested until he could make the officials drop the charges. However, a sheriff had a warrant drawn up, and they arrested the boys and ordered them extradited back. They hog-tied the boys up and tied them to the back of the wagon and began bringing them back to Virginia. Now, coincidentally, it just so happened that the road back into town passed right in front of Floyd Allen's house. When Floyd saw his nephews tied up like a hogs, he demanded that they be released. But the deputies refused, and you see, that was a mistake. Floyd just promptly took out his pistol and beat the hell out of both of them. And then he simply untied his nephews. The next day, Floyd took both boys to court where they were convicted and served short sentences. However, Floyd now had a bigger problem. He himself was facing assault charges and illegal rescue of prisoners. It seems the sheriff and the local politicians had had enough of his vigilante justice. And now was the time to prove once and for all that they were the law of the land not the powerful Allen clan. So you see, on March 13, 1912, Floyd Allen found himself in court yet again for felony assault. This time, he was convicted on all charges and ordered to return to court the next day for sentencing. Word spread quickly throughout the town and everybody knew there was sure to be trouble the next day. Heck, that evening, someone delivered a handwritten note to the judge that said, if Floyd is put in jail, they would kill the judge before sunset. The morning of March 14th, the entire town was on edge. Everybody knew something was looming. Every court official and every law enforcement officer in the building was carrying a pistol at the hearing. But so was the entire Allen clan who were standing in the back of the courtroom, armed to the teeth. That's right, the entire courtroom was locked and loaded. Now, what happens next is still debated to this very day. But one thing is for certain, it would become the deadliest day in the history of the United States justice system. Floyd was seated in the defendant's chair in the middle of the courtroom when the lead juror read this sentence. We the jury find the defendant, Floyd Allen, guilty on all charges and recommend a $1,000 fine and one year in prison. A hush fell over the courtroom. Floyd slowly stood to his feet and he looked at the judge and he said, Well, gentlemen, I ain't a-going. Nobody knows who fired the first shot, but all hell broke loose and the bullets began flying from all directions. In the next 90 seconds, gunfire rang out like thunder. Floyd was one of the first people shot and he fell to the ground on top of his lawyer who told him, They're gonna kill me, shooting at you. Meanwhile, eyewitnesses said that the Allen clan stood at the back of the courtroom, firing pistols like Custer's cavalrymen at the Battle of Little Bighorn. They shot the jury foreman dead. The sheriff was shot five times and killed. The prosecuting attorney was killed, 
a 19-year-old onlooker was shot and killed, and the judge was shot dead right in his seat. Chaos broke out as folks ran for their lives. Floyd, who was already shot, pulled out a concealed pistol and he joined the battle. Seven other people were shot as the violence spilled out of the courtroom onto the lawn of the courthouse. The Allens took refuge behind a Confederate statue and they reloaded and continued the assault. Floyd's hip was shattered from a gunshot, but he managed to escape the courthouse where he was shot again by the court clerk. This time, shattered his knee. Although he was immobilized, Floyd continued firing back and the court clerk was shot. All told, five people were dead and seven more injured. Floyd was too badly injured to travel, so he hid out in a hotel while the rest of the Allen clan escaped on horses. When they began pulling the dead bodies out of the courtroom, witnesses found a handwritten note still in the judge's pocket that read, If you sentence Floyd Allen to jail, you'll be dead before sundown. Now folks, that wasn't a threat. That was a fulfilled promise. 90 seconds of carnage left 57 bullet holes in the walls of the courtroom and the stairs leading out of the courthouse. Heck, two bullet holes in the courthouse steps are still there to this very day. The shootout made the front page of nearly every newspaper in the world. For the first time, the violence of Appalachian outlaws captivated the entire nation's attention as a nationwide manhunt ensued. Every member of the Allen clan was wanted, dead or alive. Now, the next morning, law enforcement captured Floyd at a nearby hotel since he was so badly wounded. When the cops burst into his room, Floyd was out of bullets, so he took a knife and tried to slit his own throat before being arrested. But, catching the rest of the Allen clan would prove to be much more difficult. Several Allens hid in the mountains while others headed west. It would take months to catch them all. The last two Allens were finally caught 10 months later in Iowa. Ironically, the last Allen to be caught was Wesley Edwards, the man who had found the red ear of corn and planted the kiss that started it all. This event became known throughout the world as the Courthouse Massacre of 1912. It was front page news throughout the world for 30 days before another tragedy captured the world's attention when the Titanic struck an iceberg in the Atlantic Ocean and sank. 